Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, how, much, are, are you, how many of you say, well, we're pretty much done with our Christmas celebration? Yeah, quite a few of you. Well, we haven't had ours yet as, a, as the whole family. So, uh, because my son-in-law is a pastor, he's, uh, he had to be in New York on Friday night for Christmas Eve, had to be there this morning. So, they're driving in today and everybody else is coming. So, it'll be 31 of us at our house this afternoon. And uh, so, that's, we still have that to look forward to. And I do look forward to it. Um, grandma's and Grandpa. But Grandma has all the gifts under the tree for the grandkids. And it's, it's really exciting giving gifts, you know. I... Um, Glenda shows me every year what we bought for the kids, <laughs> and so that we put my name on it and give it, so uh, that's fun. But why do we give gifts at Christmas? Why do we, you know, where did that come from? And we do give gifts. Statistics show the average, of, uh, average family spends about $1,000 on Christmas gifts each year. Some families probably a lot more, and some who don't have anything, much less. But about $1,000, so it is significant. But where does that come from? You know, in one sense, you know, we might think, well, the wise men. It was actually who we're going to look at today. Uh, they gave gifts, and so maybe that sort of set a tradition. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about us even celebrating Christmas, right? Much less that we have to give gifts. But then we might say, well, wait a minute. God's the one who gave the gift, isn't it? He gave the earth his son to be our savior. And so we give gifts. I mean, I, I don't think that the traditions, our traditions of giving gifts are, are rooted in biblical uh, foundations. Uh, but it is a tradition that we do and like to do in a way that we really value the people in our lives, right? And so that's, that's fun. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer here so we get ready to look at his word. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us in your word. And uh, I know that you're going to be faithful, Lord, to speak to us personally uh, through it today. And I pray, Father, that maybe whatever's going for on for each of us here right now, we could just settle for a moment, quiet our hearts before you, and open them to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. On Friday night, Christmas Eve, we read the Christmas story, talked about the, you know, Bethlehem and the stable and the manger and the birth of Jesus and the angels. And uh, this part of the story happens somewhat later. We aren't sure how much later. Uh, could be a couple months, could be a couple years, possibly. Uh, but it gets all included. If you've got to put it all, the Christmas story on a, on a Christmas card, you've got to put it all on at once, right? And so that's why we see all those things. Uh, but the difference, distinction we'll see here is that uh, Mary and Joseph are no longer in a stable. They are in a house. And the word that's used, the Greek word that's used for like an infant when Jesus was born is brephos. And, and now they're using a, a different word, paideia, which refers to a small child. Okay, so Jesus is a little older at this point in time. All right, so let's, let's, let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. Did I tell you what chapter? Okay, good. Short-term memory, you know, Okay. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Wise men, it, it translates the word magi, and it um, refers to, if you remember the stories in the Old Testament, especially in Daniel, the king, when he couldn't figure something, he had a dream or a feeling or he wanted to know what something meant, he would call for the magi, for all the wise men in the kingdom. These were people who were very educated uh, and, uh, and they knew all sorts of things. Sometimes some of them might have been magicians or sorcerers, but others of them won't, weren't. They just were very well read and knew what was going on. So it, that's the word that's used here. It's not kings. Um, but so these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And from the east, we don't know for sure whether this is, could have been from Babylon, uh, that area. It could have been, which was modern day uh, Iraq, could have been from modern day Iran, Persia. Okay? We don't know where they came from, but someplace in the far east, not, not the Orient, but the east. Okay? So wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. But I just want you to know, when it says we saw his star in the east, they don't mean that they were looking east. They were in the east when they saw the star. And now they have traveled west, southwest to uh, Jerusalem. And so they're saying back when we were in the east, we saw his star. Okay. Um, so the, born the king of the Jews, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And by the way, when you read the Bible, it says where the Christ, the, the word Christ is the Greek equivalent of the word Messiah. So where was the Messiah to be born, the promised one? Verse 5, so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, the prophet Micah, you find this in the first part of chapter 5 of Micah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A reference to the Messiah who was to come. Okay? And they're looking for this king. They say, Who's, where's the one born king of the Jews? And they say, well, he's this ruler, this king that God is going to establish, the Messiah that he's going to send is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And specifically in Judea, in Ju yeah, Judah, because there was at least one more Bethlehem in the land of Israel. There may have been two more that I, I'm not sure. Uh, it's like Springfields. How many Springfields are there in the United States? Every state has at least one, right? It seems like. Anyway, but so... It's, the scriptures were very, very specifically pointing out this Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. Verse 7. <clears throat> then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search, <clears throat> excuse me, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, why does Herod call for them secretly? Well, because Herod has a problem. It says up here, Herod was troubled, right? What do you mean born king of the Jews? 
I'm the king of the Jews. And we know some things about Herod. Herod was a very paranoid man. He thought that people all the time were trying to take over his kingship from him. He'd been king for 30 plus years at this point in time. Uh, he, had, he wasn't born Jewish, but he's, he's a king over a Jewish area, and he tried to befriend the Jews and, and do good things for them, not because he was a real great godly man, but because that's how he did things, okay? And uh, the Jews hadn't responded well to him in that, and so he's kind of resentful of that. And now all of a sudden he hears someone born king of the Jews. We got a problem here. This could be an uprising. A whole bunch of people, right, already don't like me. They're coming after me. King Herod, in his lifetime, had three of his own sons killed because he thought they were going to try to take over him, and his wife killed. And he's very paranoid, all right? So he calls for the wise men uh, secretly because he can't, he doesn't know what this perceived, but he, he talks to them and says, okay, go find him and let me know where he is. And I, I think when he, you know, we read the words, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. Also, I picture it like he says, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me. Oh, that I may come and worship him, right? This is what's going on in him. All right. And most likely this has been through an interpreter, so the wise men may not have caught that. Verse 10, oh, excuse me, verse nine. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So it seems as if this star had disappeared for them. Okay, they were in the east, they saw the star. Again, we'll talk more about that in a minute, how, how we, you know, what that meant. But they saw it, they travel, and apparently the star is not there again. But then when they start heading for Bethlehem, all of a sudden the star appears again and leads them. It came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know what gold is. Frankincense and myrrh are both uh, substances that come from different kinds of trees that are very aromatic. They were also used for medicinal purposes back in the day. All right, and then verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And we're not gonna read the rest of the story, but Herod gets all bent out of shape and, and he had asked them when the star had appeared and he kind of figured out. So he has all the baby boys in, all around Bethlehem, two years and under killed because we're not going to let this go anywhere. Of course, he doesn't get them. Um, but so that's the story here. And as we see, there's some things I think that we can learn here from, from the story. Um, and and this, we want to think about this. How did this come to pass that these people from the east, you know, saw a star? I mean, if, if you looked out tonight and you saw a new star that you had never seen before, would you say, oh, I know what that means? You wouldn't, right? Okay, but so what's going on with these guys? Well, remember, these, these are the wise men. These are the ones who, they collect all sorts of the writings, the histories, the, the ancient writings. The Jews had been all over the world. They had been 
uh, they were taken captive into Babylon and into Persia. Uh, the, undoubtedly, the scriptures are Daniel was there in Babylon, right? And his writings are there. And so here, here's the way I picture this going down. Is that these, these guys, by the way, they looked at stars because sometimes they were into astrology as well as astronomy. But anyway, so these, these uh, magi were looking at the stars and all of a sudden, wait a minute. What's that one? That's never been there before. And they checked their records to see because they kept meticulous records all stuff. And it's, that one has never been there before. Where is it? And they're looking, it's, it's out west, maybe a little southwest from them in the sky. And somebody says, hey, wait a minute, I think I read something about this. And so they start looking. And, and they go to they, through the Torah of the Jewish people, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible, and they begin looking because they remember some things in there. And 1,800 years before this time, uh, Israel or, or Jacob had been talking about his sons and what was going to happen in their life. And he says this in Genesis. He says, go ahead. Go ahead. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Scepter is what? It's what the king has, isn't it? A king, Okay. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a term that was used for the Messiah. Okay, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. A king is going to be in Judah. Okay, so Judah should have a king. All right, then uh, some um, 1,400 years before the time of Christ, really interesting. Do you remember the story of Balaam? Some of you do, some of you won't, but he was someone that an enemies of Israel had hired. He was a seer, a prophet of some sort, a spiritualist kind of person, and they wanted him to curse Israel. And he couldn't because God wouldn't let him. He opens his mouth to curse Israel and instead blessing comes out. It's kind of a funny story. Anyway, so God, controlling what this man is saying, he says this in the book of Numbers. He says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near, not right away. But a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so they're thinking, a star is going to come out of Jacob. You know what? That is where the land of Israel is. And there's a star has come. Has a king come? Okay, so they're considering that. I would suspect that's, that they had writings of Daniel as well. And so some 600 years before Christ is born, Daniel the Lord reveals to him some timing related to all of this. And so in Daniel, he says, know therefore and understand. This is actually a message from, of an angel to, to Daniel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 69 weeks, it says, 69 weeks of years, equivalent 483 years. Uh, we actually looked at that in our last lesson on, on the... Uh, what the Bible tells us about the future. But anyway, so they know when that decree happened. We know from history when that decree happened. Okay? And so 483 years, the Messiah is supposed to be here. Well, they're into that generation, aren't they? So they can put all this together. There's a star we've never seen before. It's out there in the sky over where the land of Israel is. And there's supposed to be a, a, a king who's supposed to come. And it's supposed to be his star, it says. And, and this timing, we're getting close to this. All right? So they have all of these writings. And they, they come uh, to see Jesus as a result of it. Now, here's what I want you to 
what I've, I, a lesson that I think that we would do well to learn here, and, and that's this, that God works in your life to meet your needs before you know you have a need. Before you even know God is at work. I mean, I want you to think about these guys. Here's the, the Lord, and when I say needs, I don't just mean food, clothing, and shelter. It includes that. But I'm talking about what do you need to do what God wants you to do in life? What do you need? What needs to happen? Who do you need to know? Where do you need to be? When do you need to be there? And I want you to know that God knows that stuff, and he's already at work behind the scenes. We talked about that last week, but he's working and providing those needs for you before you even know that you have them. And because think, here, here they are, right? So uh, 1,800 years before this time, 1,400 years before this time, 600 years before this time, the Lord is putting things in place. He's putting scripture in place. He's making sure that these scriptures are available to these people. And so he's putting all these things in place into, for people who are wanting to figure out what's going on and do something about it, these three kings. And so he's at work doing those things. Uh, and so I, I want you to think that this means that for me, when I, I find myself in a situation in life, you know, sometimes I realize I'm in a situation, sometimes I don't. Anybody like that besides me? You didn't even realize you were in a situation, but you were in a situation. <laughs> anyway, but the idea is you go to the Word and you're in the Word or you hear someone preaching, you're teaching, you're reading something, somebody's talking about the Word, and all of a sudden you go, okay, there it is. I get it. Somebody's commenting. Uh, I thought I was hearing from God there for a moment, but no. But you read the word, and it's like, this is it. I, this, I need to know this. I need to remember this. I, I, I can trust, I can believe it, whatever. This is what I need to know. Did you ever stop to think that maybe, just maybe, the reason one of those verses is in the Bible because God knew you were going to need that one day? Now, there's a whole lot more than just us in it, right? But nonetheless, God knew. He brought you to this point at this time and this revelation from him is for you. It's personal for us. And that's just what God works in us. We don't even know what's going on. Now, well, this should encourage you. Well, let me, let me just sidetrack for a little bit, can I? Are you going to say no? <laughs> you know, one of the, the, I think the biggest ways that we can see this happens is that God knew that we would need a Savior. Right? He knew that we would. Did God know you needed a Savior before you knew it? Yeah. Yes. And so God put all things in place to send a Savior. He sends a Savior, which we're, you know, the Christmas story is part of that. He sends a Savior to, to live a perfect and sinless life, his only son, he's the son of God, he's God in human form, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on the cross, God the Father takes the, the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world and he puts them on Jesus as he dies there. He rises from the dead three days later, victorious over sin and death. 
And then the offer of the gospel is if you will acknowledge this from your heart and believe, yes, I've sinned against a holy God and I need a savior. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. And so I'm going to put my trust in Jesus because I can't fix it, the fact I've sinned. I can't undo that. I have sinned against a holy God. I need a savior. And so by faith, I put my faith in Jesus. I receive Christ as my savior. Okay, so that is the gospel message is available to all of us. But God has done more than that. God, if you know Christ here today, God worked in your life. And as I was just looking around, seeing a couple of you recently, I've, had, I've, I've told some of your stories to people about how God worked in your life. He brought you to different times in your life, to different circumstances, to different places. He brought people into your life that weren't there before or someone who has been there before, their, their lives changed and they began talking to you. Whatever. God worked in your life to bring you to that point. You know, for me, I remember when he brought me to that point, I, I wrestled with that for quite a while, trying to figure out, wait a minute, I don't know. And finally, I just said, okay, God, I received Christ as Savior. I put my faith in him. Can you think about it right now? How did God do that in your life? See, he was working all of those things together to bring you to him before you ever even knew you needed him. Now, when we, when we connect with this reality that God is, is, has worked to meet our needs before we even know that we have him, when I find myself and you find yourself saying, wow, I feel like God wants me to do this. God wants me to talk to this person. God wants me to go to this place. God wants me to stop this job and go somewhere else or, or whatever it is. And you're like, how can I do that? I, I, there's too many things that need to happen. I can't do that. Well, wait a minute. Let's, at that point, we want to remember, wait a minute, what's going on here? If this is something God wants me to do, he's what? He's already been working to meet this need before I even realized I had it. So what can I do? By faith, I can say, okay, God, I'm stepping out. I'm trusting you to meet this need, whatever it may be. And so you take that step of faith, and, and then God works. And he, you know, he does, just thinking of one of you that I just saw out here as I was preaching. It's actually happened with more than one person in life, but a parent in the hospital who has not been interested in Christ, rejected him, more or less, they've coming down to the end of life, they're in the hospital. And, and I swing by to visit the family and what's going on. And, and then the family steps out to go get a cup of coffee or something, and I stay, and I start talking. Begin a conversation, there's an openness, and share the gospel, and this parent receives Christ as Savior. And when the family comes back, I can tell the Christians, it's just like, how does that happen? They've not been open their whole life. But God was at work still, see? And it just, all that works together. So the idea is we can trust God. And it doesn't always go down the way we think it should. It doesn't always go the way we would expect it to. And we don't even always know the end of the story. We don't know the end of the story. But we step out in faith and go with God because he's meeting our needs so we can do what he wants us to do. Okay, so think about how this worked out in the lives of the wise men. 
They, you know, he worked, he provided them with these scriptures, he provided them with a star and whatever motivated them to go do it. And so they go, star has disappeared. They've come to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, saying, okay, where is this king? And they don't know, and they say, well, uh, Bethlehem. Let me show you a little bit more about that prophecy. Let's look at that. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's identifying the specific one. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And then look at these words. Whose goings forth are from of old. From what? Everlasting. Are created beings from everlasting? No, created beings have what? A beginning. True? Who alone is from everlasting. Who? God. That's right. So this one who's to be born, the Messiah who's to come, is going to be God. It's the Son of God, God in human form. Okay? But anyway, the point here is that now they, they have this word. Okay? He prepared that, and so they tell him, okay, it's Bethlehem, and they go, and then God does what? The star is back. And they, they are so joyful that the star is back. And they see it and they follow it, you know, to directly somehow or rather over where Christ lay. So God took what he had been doing for all those years in preparation and also did something right now. And so as we go through our lives following the Lord, we can trust that he has put things in place. He's, he's working. He has people, timing, all that kind of stuff. And it may be that we get to a point where he does something right now as well. Is God faithful? God will do what needs to be done in your life so you can do what he wants you to do with your life. Okay, he will do that. All right. So let's, let's think about Herod here for a little bit. Herod, as we saw, very troubled, paranoid man. Uh, he's conniving here. He's, he's, he's calling the wise men and he wants to know and, because he intends to do harm to this baby. Um, so was Herod on the wise men's side or not? He was not on the wise men's side. Actually, Herod was only always on Herod's side. But he is opposing what they are doing. Even though he's saying, oh, go find the child, you know, and all that, uh, he is opposing them because they want to go and worship and honor this king. Herod wants to kill this king. And so he is working behind, he, he's, he's just trying to prevent uh, these things from happening. And, and add to that, these wise men travel probably anywhere from 500 to 1,000 miles. If, if they, you know, they're probably rich enough by camel. Um, it, who knows how long it takes them to go? I think, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, one month, two months, three months. Travel, they have to put this all together. Okay, when they see the star, we, we need to go, and they got to put it all together. And, and so lots of things that made this a difficult thing to do. And, and we shouldn't be surprised at because when you seek to follow Jesus, you will always run into opposition. Okay, you'll always run into opposition when you seek to follow Jesus. You just will. It's going to happen. Like I said, we see it with the wise men. Hard things for them to do. Um, so let me just say it this way. 
expect troubles in life to make it difficult to follow Jesus. Just expect it. Life brings its troubles. In fact, uh, Job talked about it like this in Job 14.1. He says, how frail is humanity? How short is life and full of troubles? Does it seem like that sometimes? Aren't there seasons when you go through it and you say, yeah, that's it. And and so life is hard by itself. We live in a sin-cursed world, a world that's been affected by mankind's sin. And and so there are problems. Things are going to make it hard sometimes to do what's right. Okay, just expect it, and it's okay. It's going to be hard, but what did we already learn? God has worked to meet the needs so you can do what he wants you to do. It's going to be hard, it's okay. Uh, Peter says it like this. He talks about it. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. But the first one, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. I, I guarantee you that if, you know, to, if you've already done this in your life, you've already experienced it from time to time. If you're, if you're in a place where you're considering this for the first time, you will experience this. If you're, if you're recommitting, you're going to experience this. Okay, Lord, I am going to follow you. I am going to follow you. I give my life to you. And now you set out to live it. Well, man, wasn't that, was that a good decision you made? Was it? Come on, you guys still? Boy. Yeah, it was a great decision you made. And God is honored and pleased with that. So therefore, everything's going to go well. Not necessarily, not necessarily at all. Because there's opposition to that. There's natural opposition in the world and then there's opposition of of individuals who have a sin nature, who are just like Herod, who were in it for themselves, protecting themselves, maybe trying to make themselves feel important. You run into those people and they're not gonna be happy with you. And so who knows what's gonna happen there. There is, something, uh, spiritual warfare behind the scenes. Satan is there, his demons, and they do work. They work, in, and exactly how they work, I can't tell you, but I do know this, that, that the Lord tells us that we can resist the devil by humbling ourselves before God. And so they don't have any control. We don't have to be, oh, no, I'm afraid. Of, no, nothing like that. It's about humbling yourself before God, and he'll protect you. But don't un- miss, don't think that there is no opposition there. There is. It is real, and it will come against you. So troubles are going to come. So what's, how will the Lord do, deal with this? Well, the Lord will deliver you uh, through or from these troubles sometimes. Okay? Sometimes he delivers you from the troubles. Uh, the Lord stood with me. This is Paul when he's in prison at the end of his life. He hasn't died yet, but he says this. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. And sometimes God just miraculously delivers us from those troubles. And he takes care of it, and we go on. But not always. Paul, shortly after this, is put to death. Of course, God then delivered him from it, right? By taking him out of the world. But sometimes God delivers us through the troubles. Okay, through the troubles. The word through is an interesting word, right? Because what's it mean? 
if I'm going here and then there's troubles here, he doesn't say I'm going into troubles. We, we do go into troubles, but he says what? What? Through. Taking you through the troubles. Look what he says in Isaiah here. But now this says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, and I think we can make application of this to us as God's people, okay? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Don't be afraid. Next verse. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. And the waters, the rivers, go back to you. The waters and the rivers and the fire, they're all symbolic of these troubles and opposition and problems that come in life. And, and sometimes the Lord says, I, you're going through this. You're going to go through it. Don't be afraid. I'm with you as you go through it, but you are going through it. And that means you're going to experience it, aren't you? There are troubles in life. There are hard things in life. Sometimes the Lord calls into situations. Then the Apostle Paul talks about one uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says that, hey, I want to let you know the problems that we had when we were in Asia. And he says, man, it was so bad. We were crushed. We were weighed down. We despaired even of life. We didn't think we were going to live. and Maybe we didn't even want to. But Paul was going through it. And he comes out on the other side and he says, it was a good thing that we experienced that because now we learned how to trust God who can raise the dead. Right? Takes you through it. Some of the most valuable things I have learned in my life is because God took me through something. And you come out on the other end changed. And it's important that we surrender to God and don't run the other way. We surrender to God, come out on the other end, and we will experience it. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> go on to the next verse. This is how he sums it up here. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and I have loved you. Fear not, for I am with you. If you're going through troubles because you're following the Lord, oh, that means God's with you. It means he's with you, and you don't need to be afraid. And the third thing under this idea of opposition is know this, that he will not waste any of these troubles in your life. They won't be wasted. Right? So what's the point? No, he's not going to waste them. He's going to work in your life. And we're, we're familiar with this, this verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So he will take them and use them all for us. All right, so let's look at these gifts again here. Then we expect opposition as you go to follow Jesus. And don't be surprised by it. It's part of how God works in our lives. And then finally here, verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not... No, excuse me, verse 11. Middle of the verse. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many wise men were there? We don't know. It could have been a bunch. It could have been 10 of them. It could have been 20 of them, whatever. But we know that they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, um, the frankincense, like I said, was an incense, an aromatic thing. But once again, they used it for medicinal purposes as well, or what they thought. And <clears throat> it was much more valuable back in the day than it is now. 
because it was hard to get and hard to process and hard to transport. And of course, now today, more modern technology and ways to do that, it's much easier to get it. So it's not real expensive today. But back then, it's estimated that a pound of frankincense was worth about $500. A pound of myrrh, which is an aromatic, you know, it also came from a tree. I don't know the specific differences, but it was valued at about $4,000 a pound. How about a pound of gold? Just using the figures for today, what gold is worth, that's uh, about a pound of gold is worth over $28,000. How much of this stuff did they give to Jesus? We don't know. But they were there to honor a king, right? So my guess is they must have had probably at least a pound of each of those. Either way, it comes down to that there must have been... Um, Tens of thousands of dollars worth. And we never think of what, what, what happened to that? Where'd it go? Well, you know, we see that uh, Herod's going to try to kill the babies and God warns Joseph in a dream and he takes off with Jesus and moves to Egypt. How do they live in Egypt? How do they pay? How do they survive? Well, it may have been, this goes back to God providing their needs, Right? The Lord's providing their needs and eventually they have to come back and they move back and they go back up to Nazareth and he has to, you know, resettle, get a place and maybe set up his shop, all this kind of stuff, we don't know. But so the Lord was providing. But I want you to see, it says they opened up their treasures and they, they gave to the Lord. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and go to that third one, Eduardo. Take the most valuable treasure you have and lay it down before the Lord. This is just a challenging thought for us to think. They honor the Lord by giving him these valuable treasures. How do you and I honor the Lord? Well, you want to take your most, what's most valuable to you and lay that down for the Lord. This is for you, Lord. I yield this to you. I give it to you. Yours to use as you see fit. You know, the song that, that uh, Amanda uh, sang for us on, uh, last Sunday in the mid bleak midwinter but it comes down to the point it says what can I give him poor as I am I can give him my heart the most valuable thing I have I can give him my heart and so whatever for you is like the most valuable thing this is what we need to give to God because if we don't give the Lord what's most valuable to us we aren't really treating him like Lord are we we aren't so think about this. What is most valuable to you? Is your family valuable to you? I, you know, our families ought to be extremely valuable to us, right? And, and, and just the joy that we get from them, and, but the, hopefully the investment we're making in them. And so our families can be the most valuable thing to us. But if, you know, if, if your family is extremely valuable to you, you know what you need to make sure you do? It's really crucial that you, in, in your heart and mind, you take your family and you say, okay, God, Here's my family for you to work in as you please. I've let, let this go to you. Because far too often I see Christians say, well, you know, family's a good thing and I do this. And then they, they end up using their family as an excuse not to do other things the Lord would have them to do. And one of the saddest ways I've seen this shown up is 
when God puts it in the heart of a young person to say, you know, I really think I want to go be a missionary. I want to go someplace else in the world and tell people about Jesus. And parents go, uh-uh, no way. You're not taking, you know, go over there and have my grandchildren over there or whatever, right? But so we want to take our family and lay it before the Lord. That way, if God puts it in your heart to go serve him somewhere doing something, you've already settled the issue, haven't you? You've already said, if it, God calls one of your children or grandchildren, you've already settled the issue because I've already given my family to the Lord. How about your bank account? Is that valuable to you? So I wish it was more valuable. <laughs> but it's valuable to you, right? But that is, you need to take that. All you, and lay it for God. God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? I'm, I'm bringing my greatest treasure to you. Uh, maybe, maybe your home. You know, God, I'm giving you my home. It's yours. How do you want use it? You don't want me to use it, open it up for something? Or what do you want me to do? This is yours, Lord. I yield it to you. You know, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your, your dreams for life. Maybe it's your future plans or whatever. All these things. We need to make sure that we've given these to the Lord. We've yielded them to the Lord. It is crucial that we do that. Um, Because if we don't, like I said, we're not living like he's really Lord. And he is Lord. No question about it. And you realize that <clears throat> when you give what's the most valuable thing to the Lord, and, and, and before you do it, you might have some anxiety about that and concerns or even feel depressed. But, but I got to tell you, when you honestly, sincerely do it, God gives you a freedom in your soul. And all of a sudden, what this treasure is, you know, he may say, yeah, I'll keep living in that house. I want you to keep living in that house. Enjoy that house. But, oh, you're free because it's not between you and God anymore. So I, I want to encourage you to do this. You can do it right now, but do it at some point. Today, soon. I want you to think. If someone asks you this question, what is that one thing in your life, or maybe more than one thing, but what is that thing in your life where if the Lord said, I want that, you would say, oh Lord, no, please, not that. And I try to identify what that is for you. And when you identify, you say, no, okay, Lord, this is yours. I worship you with it. All right. So in this story of the three wise men, we can see that God, number one, God works in your life to meet your needs before you even know that you have them. That's when it's assuming you're trying to serve him. Okay. And, and secondly, you will always run into opposition when you seek to follow Jesus. Some of it's just life stuff. Some of it's spiritual opposition. And then finally, take the most valuable treasure you have and lay it down before the Lord. That's... That's really what it means to live like a Christian. It really is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, for these challenges, and I pray, Lord, that we will respond to you in them. Whatever you may have spoken to us about, that we will respond to you in it, we will say yes to you, and honor and glorify you in it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.